0: you, one of our regular students for Self Improvement Wednesday. Each week you get to learn something new. Your lesson this week, why and how we count our wildlife. Your teacher is Professor Richard Kingsford. He's Director of the Centre for Ecosystem Science at the University of New South Wales. Welcome again. Thank you for coming in.
1: Good afternoon, Richard. There's a
0: lot of different sorts of, of wildlife to be counted. We we tend to think of, oh, okay, you mean koalas, but you mean lots of things.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, I suppose we like the sort of charismatic ones, the mammals, the reptiles, the birds. We tend to forget about the plants and the microbes and the invertebrates, which basically make up most of wildlife. And they're they're really important because they make the place tick. And so forgetting about them is, is, is a real problem. And of course, the vegetation is very important as well. Why do we count? Well, I guess, you know, the most important thing is we want to work out how the environment's tracking. We want to see if a species is recovering. Um, so we might want to monitor koalas, for example, and work out whether or not we're arresting their decline. Or, you know, if you happen to be up in Queensland, you might be wanting to count the corals on the Great Barrier Reef to work out where the coral, coral bleaching is going. Or even, you know, after the big fires of 2019, 2020, you know, how, how are all those plants and animals doing after those, you know, devastating fires? Are they recovering? And, and, and of course, I spend, you know, a, about a month in a plane um, surveying water birds and wetlands across a third of the continent to track what's happening to our rivers and wetlands.
0: I mean, we're going to get on to how you do it because, of course, it's not like the census. You can't just knock on every <laughs> burrow door. Um, but but, but first, the other part of it is not only counting species we want to save, but you also count the ferals, don't you?
1: Absolutely. I mean, you know, if you're, if the biggest problem for one of your native species is a feral animal, then you need to track how you're doing in terms of counting the foxes or the deer. So it's that duality to counting wildlife that's important. You know, you need to count the wildlife we care about and the wildlife that cause problems and the threats. Um, and that, and I guess that sort of segues into what wildlife we should count. And obviously that depends to a large extent on the, what our focus species is. We might want to count the number of platypus in rivers or little penguins breeding in places around Manly, or even you might want to know whether how many whales are migrating. Constant source of discussion about how they're going up, which is fabulous. Or even you know the, how the flannel flowers are doing um, after the fires, um, and then obviously on the flip side you've got that issue of what are the feral doing. So. Out at our wild deserts um, project, and I know you've spoken to Beck and Reese uh, out there a bit. We we really do not only want to know about those locally extinct mammals we reintroduce, but what are the cats doing? Because they're the biggest threat to them um, in some of those mm. areas where we have stopped them from getting in. Okay. Now
0: you mentioned the flannel flowers and I'm confident that even I could manage to count the number of flannel flowers in a field if I (laughs) gave it enough time. They don't tend to move, but animals are different. They they move, they shift around. How do you know? You go to one, a field and you count 25 bilbies in this particular field, then you come back a, a year later and there are only 20 of them, how do you know that the population has declined rather than your, your counting is not as good?
1: Yeah, look, this is the most complex part of it. It's not easy, and but there's some important principles, one of which is you've got to be able to have something that's repeatable. So you need to be able to compare those wildlife counts, both in terms of time, uh, you come back in the future and what's happened, or between different places to know what's important. And we wildlife scientists spend a lot of time banging on about sampling design. You know, you want to make sure that you've got an unbiased sample of what you're counting. And there's one really useful analytical technique, which is particular for animals, and that's... Um, And I noticed you were talking to Josh about it earlier this idea of the mark recapture method. Um, But it's a way of estimating how many animals there are of a certain species in a certain place. That's what we call a population. So we use this um, neat trick, which, because obviously we can't count everybody like um, the the census, we um, estimate the number, the population from the number of animals you capture and you mark and then you recapture after you've let them go. So the first time you catch the animals, none will be marked. But the next time you catch them, a new sample of those animals, some of those will be ones that you previously marked. And the trick here is that that's a marked proportion and can be calculated relative to the unmarked ones to estimate the total animals Mm. in the whole population. Okay. So
0: just so I can understand this. So I've got my 20 bilbies and I've marked them. Then I've released them back. The next year I come along and I get 20 bil- bilbies of which fi- of which say only one is marked. That indicates that there's actually quite a big population there. If they were all marked,
1: I'm getting every bilby again. There's probably only 20 bilbies. That's exactly right. That's exactly how it works. Now, there are a whole lot of assumptions because – you know, in, in that year, <laughs> they would have done a hell of a lot of breeding and some of those that you marked might have died. But but if you came back the following week and you got only one, then you'd be saying, hang on, there are a lot more bilbies. And there's a formula which you can calculate mm-hmm. to work out what it is. We actually teach this to our first-year students by, by getting them to sample a, a tub full of crickets. And um, basically they come along and they sample 10 at a time and mark them and throw them back in again. And then they get another ten, and and they don't have to do many of those to get a reasonably good estimate of the total population of those crickets.
0: Isn't that an interesting technique? Mark and recapture method. What are the other methods?
1: Oh look, there's thousands of different ways that we um, measure wildlife. From you know, we count birds and whales with binoculars. Obviously, we sometimes detect wildlife calls with an, a thing called an anabat to detect bats, for example, or audio moths or. Um, you've spoken a lot to Jody Rowley, who's got frog ID. So there's, you know, our smartphones are really useful. Um, for plants, it's really important with your flannel flowers to count each of those individuals cause they don't move, but you do need to know w- what area quadrat we call it. And also sometimes, you know, what percentage cover of flannel flowers as opposed to other species that might be in there so that, you know, we can extrapolate up to the total number. Funny little and, and thing. to make sure I, I haven't yeah.
0: chosen the only place that the flannel flowers are, 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 are you know are ubiquitous.
1: That's right, and and when you actually think about that, you've actually got to do that randomly. Ideally, you've got lots of quadrats that are unbiased sample of all the places that flannel flowers can be, so you know where you've got the big the mm-hmm. big lots and the small lot. It's um yeah it, it's it's basically statistics and it's it's a really important part of that. Okay,
0: but in you and your small plane with your your binoculars, <laughs> how do you know that that duck
1: has not just whizzed around the same duck has not whizzed around the plane three times? I I, I heard you and Josh say I use binoculars, but the <laughs> truth is that we don't actually have enough time to do that. We fly at about treetop level, so we actually use our eyes and we can't focus because binoculars. And even, you know, we've tried using videos. They don't work either. Your eye is extremely good at going in and out and focusing. So we can identify up to 50 different species at about 50 metres. And we we basically like a race caller, counting these things into a tape recorder.
0: So you say, I mean, what does that sound like when you're in the plane?
1: (laughs) Uh, 50 black duck, 30 peak ears, 20 grey teal, um... I've got to be on song. I'm I'm just not in the zone.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But you do take a a, a snap judgment of of whether it's 20 or 50.
1: Absolutely. So we... We tend to, it's easy obviously under 10 or 20, but then we get into counting in blocks of 50 and when they're all swirling around in big numbers, then your your eye is picking out big blocks of numbers, up to hundreds and sometimes even thousands.
0: Okay, and of course the task changes radically over the years doesn't it? Because you've been doing this in the drought years where there were very few birds and then you've been doing it more recently in these years where the rivers have flooded with water and therefore flooded with fish and the Fish have brought this a massive explosion in the number of birds.
1: Yeah, which is really ex- exciting, and 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 we expect you know when we do it in October this year, because of the big floods in the Murray Darling and also in the Lake Eyre Basin, that we're going to see a big jump up in the numbers, and that's going to be really encouraging. And it's that long term data that's that's really important. And and thinking about not just the birds, but what are the rivers doing and the wetlands doing and what are they feeding on? All of those other things that we also measure um, in terms of wildlife uh, are really important.
0: And the other development of of recent years, maybe the last decade, is the rise of citizen science. And you mentioned Jodie Rowley and and her frog ID. That's one great example of whereby you've just managed to duplicate the number of scientists you've got.
1: Look, I, I think this is one of the most exciting things. And also... These lovely apps like Frog ID. Um, there's one called iNaturalist which does all, everything. There's another one called eBird which is an international one. Uh, I had a PhD student that used the millions of data uh, data points on eBird to look at the differences between the types of birds that live in the world cities as opposed to those in natural areas. So, and then we, you know, we can track. We've got an environment recovery project. We're tracking how the um, environment recovers after those 2019-2020 fires. And we've got a new Platypus, um, Platy uh, um, project, which is counting platypus with uh, an app developed by ACF. So there's real opportunities to use that horsepower of our citizen scientists. And, and
0: the fire example is great, isn't it? Because you've got people who know the hills within which they live. You know, they're, they're very familiar with what the, the the bottom paddock usually looks like, whether it's recovered, whether it's come back, whether the regrowth has managed to just uh, a- absolutely uh, dominate everything else.
1: Absolutely. and And, you know, your smartphone has a GPS, you know, it gives you the location and you take a photo. And from that sort of data... We can really um, add to the sort of, uh, you know, the rigorous scientific data where you might set out a whole quadrat and do all of the plants in there. But having that citizen science data as well over a massive area and over a long period of time just gives us so much opportunity to really look at some of these big questions around, you know, tracking and counting wildlife.
0: Well, Frog ID is a great example, isn't it? People use the Frog ID app to record the sound the frog is making. They send it to Jody and her team. They listen to all these tapes and have got great ears for this, and they can say, that's actually a, a so-and-so frog. Yeah. We, we haven't seen it before in Penrith.
1: How exciting. Yeah, which is great. And I think the, the other really exciting Thing in this space, and it's also got coming to Frog Ideas, is being able to use AI that so poor people like Jody don't know, spend <laughs> twice their lives listening. Where oh, she loves it, <laughs> <laughs> but but we you know we use camera traps for counting um cats and 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 foxes and and small mammals and kangaroos, but being able to collect that data constantly over a long time gives us much better ideas of what's going on. And you can use that same mark recapture approach by looking at what your camera's catching as opposed to you actually marking and getting some sort of a density of what's going on. So there's some great opportunities in in the technology. And, and of course drones increasingly being used to capture that sort of imagery with a thermal camera that allows you to identify an animal down there. And then you can use artificial intelligence to, to count them.
0: Yeah, the importance of the count. Professor Richard Kingsford, thank you so much.
1: Thanks very what much. What a great
0: Richard. lesson. Professor Richard Kingsford is the Director of the Centre for Ecosystem Science at the University of New South Wales. You can listen again online, abc.net.au. sydney of, of course, if you're a teacher, you might want to share it with your students as well. Uh, you can uh, subscribe, of course, to the, C, the free Self-Improvement Wednesday podcast. And while you're there, thank God it's Friday, also available as a free podcast. Your lesson next week, uh, a lesson from Professor Miran Irish, Professor of Cognitive neuroscience at the Brain and Mind Centre at the University of Sydney. Her lesson, Memory and How It Works in the Brain. That's Self-Improvement Wednesday, next week.